If you would like to know different strategies to improve your quality life during your cancer journey, this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Taking Charge of My Cancer podcast, where I'll be interviewing different healthcare professionals, cancer survivors, and I'll be teaching you different resources, tips and solutions so you can get the best outcomes while dealing with cancer. Welcome to Taking Charge of My Cancer podcast, episode 25. I am Dorley Munoz, your host, and I have the pleasure to introduce you an amazing surgeon, Dr. Gengoleski uh, Peter. Dr. DC, that's how we call it because his complicated last name, and he actually does what everybody here calls him, is the Chief of Head and Neck Surgical Oncology Microvascular Reconstructive Surgery at the University of Florida. He is original from Canada, where he received his MD from the University of Alberta. Then he completed his residency in otorolingology, head and neck surgery, which is ENT, also at the same university. He became then certified by the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons of Canada and went on to complete a fellowship in advanced head and neck oncology surgery at the Ohio State University. For the last 10 years, Dr. DC has been a head and neck cancer and reconstructive surgeon you have held chance and he treats benign and malignant conditions of the head and neck. This includes cancers of the mouth, throat, voice box, um, sinuses, skin and neck, as well as salivary and thyroid masses cancer. He has a particular interest in reconstructive defects following the removal of cancers where tissue is needed from other parts of the body, this is called free flaps, to reveal the missing anatomy. He also specializes in transoral robotic surgery to remove cancer of the throat, is active in clinical research, particularly in the realms of quality and functional outcomes. He's a professor of the Department of Otorolingology, Head and Neck Surgery, and teach medical students, residents, and fellows. So Dr. DC, welcome to our podcast, and thank you so much for being here with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So you want to tell us a little bit about your mission, your business, like how did you end up being a physician and being a, a head and neck surgeon? Uh, sure. So I am um, a surgical oncologist and I specialize in the cancers of the head and neck, as you mentioned. So uh, as most people may know, there are three main ways to treat cancers, surgery, radiation therapy, or chemotherapy. And um, I focus on removing cancers through surgery. And this often requires uh, removing part of um, a structure or an organ, such as the tongue or the jaw, the throat, the voice box, um, and other various structures in the head and neck. And then after the cancer is removed, I use usually other parts of the body to reconstruct these areas. So these uh, patients who have these cancers can be very, very complex. And the surgery itself uh, can be quite uh, challenging and complicated because we're trying to balance curing the cancer and then giving the patient a reasonable function afterwards, namely speech and swallowing, um, cosmesis, and also trying to give them a good quality of life as, as much as we can after um, surviving the cancer. And so my mission really is to uh, maximize all of those and achieve a good balance for these patients so that they can survive and still have um, a life that's worth living. 
Absolutely. And and you amaze me, Dr. DC. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, uh, I see the patients up, up pre-op um, at times and and see what, you know, their tumor looks like. And then they come back post-op two weeks later. And it's just, oh my God, you, you just remove the tumor, reconstruct it. And these patients are actually moving, talking, like when they can talk. It's just amazing what you do. It's, it's just really blow my mind. And even though it's a complicated surgery and it is a long process, um, it's just amazed me how you guys just really magically made these reconstructions. Just, it's amazing. So thank you for doing that. So well, thank you so much. <laughs> were you always planning to do this? Uh, no, I think um, I, I knew I wanted to go into uh, medicine uh, from the time that I was a, a young kid. And uh, I sort of got interested into uh, surgery as time went on, and I wasn't sure what kind of surgeon I wanted to be. And I explored all the different surgical fields. And then I came across head and neck surgery. And um, I shadowed uh, someone who eventually became my mentor uh, during a, a big long case where uh, the entire tongue was removed and reconstructed. And, um, and that was it. Once I was involved in that case, that inspired me to want to pursue um, this career. Um, I really loved the surgical part of it because it was like a mixture of art and science together and uh, I just saw how rewarding it is to take care of cancer patients and it wasn't just a surgery where you did an operation and then you didn't really see the patient again these patients became um, they became yours for for life um, because they um, need a lot of care afterwards and so we really got to know these patients well and be involved in their journey and so uh, from then on, that was what I wanted to do, and and I've never looked back. Amazing, very good. Um, give us three value tips that you learn about your journey that you can give to the audience. Sure. So I think, um, you know, I've learned a lot from uh, mentors and surgeons who are, um, you know, been in their career far longer than I have, and I've also learned a lot from my patients. And some of the things that um, come to mind would be number one is that you know treating. Uh, complicated head and neck cancer patients requires a lot of um, self and family sacrifice. Um, there's a lot that goes into um, taking care of cancer patients uh, before, during, and after surgery. And um, when you take on this, this task, this mission, you really have to put everything else aside and, and put your patients first. Um, other things I've learned is that when uh, working with cancer patients, there are a lot of high highs and low lows. And so we really try to celebrate our victories and learn as much as we can uh, from failures. Uh, luckily, we have a lot more successes than not. So that, that helps um, continue the inspiration, keep doing what we're doing. Um, and then from our, our patients, um, you know, I think the important thing to, to remember is that you really want to um, enjoy every day of your life as much as you can and don't take anything for granted because if something like a cancer, God forbid, happens to you, it can completely change your life. Um, first, put your life at risk. And then if you make it through it, it can completely uh, change the way um, you live. So live each day to the fullest. And, uh, you know, I try to do that as well. Um, so I think those are probably the three top things that come to mind. Excellent. How about uh, the most painful lesson? Oh, I think the most painful lesson is no matter how much we know and how much we train and how much experience we have, um, sometimes there, there is no winning. You can do everything you possibly can 
for a patient and their, their cancer might come back. Um, and it, it may not, there may not be anything you can do to win. Uh, we're not God, we're, we're only human. And uh, sometimes it, um, treating cancer patients can be very humbling. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's totally true. Um, Dr. DC, would you just tell us the, the, or tell the audience, like if you have a situation where, um, you know, I'm a patient and now all of a sudden I have a sore of my, on my tongue that I'm noticing is not going away, what should I do? So if you have a sore on your tongue or anywhere in your mouth and it, it's not getting any better after about a week, I would go and see your primary care doctor or um, your dentist, someone who's familiar with looking inside the mouth um, and can let you know if there's a, a problem there. Um, sometimes it's just an infection. In fact, most of the time it's not going to be a cancer, but uh the uh, usual first line of treatment might be some antibiotics or a mouth rinse. And if that doesn't make it better after a week or two, then you really need to start asking yourself is, could this be something more? And you may need a referral to um, an ear, nose and throat doctor for um, a biopsy, um, especially if you're a smoker or chewing tobacco user or someone who uh, drinks a lot of alcohol. Those are the, the main risk factors for um, oral cancer, for example. Okay, that's very good. And then at what point do they decide to do you and to tell them a little bit like, okay, they do biopsy and then what's, what's the next step after that? So if it is a cancer or you're suspecting a cancer, usually a biopsy involves um, using a first an, a needle to numb up the area of concern so that um, the patient uh, can tolerate having a little piece of it removed. And then the surgeon will remove a little piece of it and send it for testing. And that can take about a week to get the results back. Uh, in many cases, if there is a high suspicion for cancer, uh, we will order some imaging like a CAT scan or MRI at the same time. So getting imaging and a biopsy are the first steps. You want to get a diagnosis and then you want to see how deep the lesion is and has it spread anywhere. Those are the first steps typically. Great. How do you choose if you have to do a free uh, flap or you know another part of the body? What made you choose which part of the body to use? It's a good question. It really depends on the size of the defect. And what I mean by that is the size of the area that we need to remove. Um, so that's the first part. And the second part is we wanna um, rebuild the structure with tissue that, as, that matches it as closely as possible. So for example, if we're dealing with tongue, we know that if we remove more than about a third of the tongue, we need to reconstruct it. Less than a third, there's not much you need to do. Um, the patient will still have good speech and swallowing, but as you get past a third, if you don't reconstruct it properly, uh, you won't get as good speech and swallowing as you could potentially achieve. And so then we take tissue from another part of the body. If it's a, a thin structure, like if we're saying maybe about half, half the tongue, we might take um, a thin piece of tissue from another part of the body, like the forearm. If it's a large part of the tongue or the whole tongue, then we need a lot of bulk and we need a lot more tissue and we'll take thicker tissue from the thigh or from the abdomen. If we're missing part of the jaw, then we want to take some bones. So we may use the fibula from the leg. That's usually the most common bone we use because it very closely matches the jaw. If that's not an option, then we can take bone from the scapula or the shoulder blade, or we can take bone from the wrist. And then there are some other less commonly used bones as well. Uh, but it really depends on the size of the defect and what the tissue is that's missing. Is it soft tissue? Is it bone? Is it both? And that really helps us determine what we need. 
Excellent. Very good. How can people find you? Um, so I practice at the University of Florida Health Shands in Gainesville. Um, we have um, our departmental website. You can find information on me on there at uh, uh, www.ent.ufl.edu. I think most of my patients will just Google me and find things on me. You can do that as well. Um, and uh, that's usually the easiest way to do it. Okay, perfect. Uh, is any three books you would recommend to our audience and why? Sure. Um, so uh, a really interesting one that uh, put what patients go through in perspective for me is one called uh, Life on the Line, A Chef's Story of Chasing Greatness, Facing Death, and Redefining the Way We Eat. It's by a very high profile uh, a chef named Grant Ashatz, who uh, has a restaurant named Linea in um, uh, the north part of Chicago. And uh, he was uh, diagnosed with uh, tongue cancer when he was uh, just really opening his restaurant. And um, he kind of faced an option of losing his tongue um, or potentially uh, dying. And, and you know, his outlook on this was, I'd rather die than lose my tongue because that my whole life is taste. And if I lose taste, I really don't have any any use for living was his uh, his initial outlook. Um, and through some series of less conventional treatments um, using a combination of chemotherapy, radiation therapy, and um, lesser surgery, uh, he was able to save his tongue. He got very lucky and didn't lose his taste. And um, of course, his speech and swallowing are not perfectly normal, but he's still able to taste and come up with some extraordinary uh, dishes. And, uh, you know, he has wow. a Michelin star rating. And so it was uh, very inspirational to read that and how he survived and continued pushing to become one of the world's greatest chefs. Wow, and, that's uh, amazing. I'm gonna look. Yeah, yeah no, it's a, very, it's a very interesting story. I would highly recommend that, especially to uh, patients who need some inspiration if they're about to embark on a journey of head and neck cancer treatment. Um, so that's a good one. Um, another one that I, I recently read that I just randomly picked up at an airport was called Icebound Shipwrecked at the Edge of the World uh, by Andrea Pitzer. It's about um, some explorers from the Netherlands who were exploring the very northern Arctic Ocean and who ended up being shipwrecked for a year on a freezing island. And uh, the story is really about kind of human suffering, determination, and then ultimately triumph. And I saw a lot of parallels um, from this story. and. Um, inspiration and motivation that um, cancer patients can um, can uh, reach to. And so I thought that was a very interesting story. And then uh, sometimes, you know, just like to read something that's uh, fun and easy. And so I always enjoy reading the Harry Potter books. You know, <laughs> I just got to, you know, escape reality and be a kid again. Exactly. Exactly. And you have kids, right? I do. Yeah. I've got, a, I've got a couple of kids who are uh, 10 and 12. Wow. So yeah, you have to kind of do some fun, like some fun reading with them as well, right? That's right. That's right. Um, how about, um, is there any question you wish uh, I would have asked you and you can give us some answer to it? Um, you know, I, I'm not, I don't really know what to, what to say for that one, uh, <laughs> for, for questions that you may have missed. Um, I can ask you one. How about, sure. Any solutions? I know something I have patients to complain quite a bit is um, saliva, right? Dry mouth yep. and yep. Uh, mucositis type of situation. Is there any tips 
uh, you can give to patients to try to help with that? Well, that's a, that's a good question. One of the, you know, pretty much any treatment we do for cancer, whether it's surgery, radiation, or chemotherapy, every single one will have side effects. And some of the side effects are temporary and some of them are permanent. And some of those side effects get worse over time. Uh, some of the most challenging ones to deal with are the ones that result from radiation therapy to the mouth. For example, dry mouth, thick saliva, thick mucus. And uh, this can slowly get worse over time. And it's a very common complaint from patients. And we don't have um, a magic bullet for this that'll stop it or make it go away. It's something that patients have to learn how to manage over time. And the best things they can do is really maintain hydration, uh, drinking a lot of water. And, um, you know, before radiation therapy, most people need about two liters of water a day. So about eight cups of water a day. And, and most of us don't meet that. A lot of people think they drink a lot of water, but if you were to give them a two liter bottle of water first thing in the morning and ask them how much of that did they drink by the end of the day, they'd be surprised how little they really drank. And so that's before radiation. After radiation, you probably need more than that. I mean, some patients are going to need about a gallon of water a day to really uh, maintain their hydration properly. And so I tell a lot of my patients is just get a big bottle, a big water bottle that has lines on it that shows you how much of it you need to drink by each part of the day to make, make sure you get at least two liters of water in. Uh, so that's number one is really just hydration. That's the best option. There are some medications we can prescribe that can help with it, but um, you know, ultimately hydration is going to improve dry mouth and thin out saliva. Um, and you can, you can tell from a lot of our patients if they've had radiation in the mouth because they're carrying around a water bottle with them. And that's really the uh, best thing they can do. Okay. Um, I have another uh, question. How about um, uh, osteonecrosis of the mandible? So I know that sometimes with radiation, that can become an issue, um, which for the audience, that means that, you know, the bones start dying on that jaw. Um, is, what surgical options do they have for that? That's a good question as well. That's a, it's a very challenging um, side effect to, uh, to deal with. Um, so with radiation therapy, especially at higher doses of radiation, um, what can happen is you can develop dead bone. And the most common one is going to be the lower jaw bone. And it doesn't happen right away. And it often starts very small and then gets worse over time. And it usually happens six months to two years after radiation therapy, sometimes even later than that. And it's it's a challenging condition to treat because it's not life-threatening. And it usually starts off as a nuisance and eventually just becomes painful and uncomfortable and results in uh, long-term infection. So we usually start with medical treatments, treating the infection as best as we can. There are some medications that improve blood flow to the jawbone. Um, so we try to get it to heal. Uh, we'll also often try hyperbaric oxygen, which are uh, chambers that uh, scuba divers go into if they come out of the water too fast. And we have these all over Florida because there's a lot of scuba diving, uh, but essentially you breathe in very high concentrated oxygen and that helps improve blood flow to poorly healing areas. So we try all of that. And if all else fails, then the last option is a big reconstructive surgery where we have to remove the jawbone and rebuild it with another part of the body. Um, so we have to take out all the damaged tissue and put in new healthy tissue. So that could mean a big reconstructive surgery. And a lot of the time that surgery um, is more complicated because there's a lot more scar tissue from the radiation therapy and the tissues are not in good health. So 
after surgery, infections and healing um, can become a problem and it can take months for patients to heal. So it's not a quick fix. It is a long process and a long journey for these patients, but sometimes it's absolutely necessary because the bone is damaged beyond repair with medications. Do you know if that resolved their trismus, which means like for the audience, um, they have a hard time, you know, opening the mouth more than 25 millimeters. So sometimes that's what I see a lot of the patients. Trismus is the issue, but you think that after doing surgery, are they able to recover that opening a little bit? So in many cases, they will improve, um, but it'll usually never be the same as it was before cancer. Um, a lot of the time, the trismus uh, in those patients is caused by uh, fibrosis or scarring of the muscles of the jaw that happens with radiation therapy, and that scarring gets worse over time. So we can cut those scars out, and the mouth will open better, but a lot of the time, new scars will form because the tissue is so prone to that from the radiation exposure. But once we open that mouth and get it better, and the patient does physical therapy and jaw opening exercises, they can often maintain um, a good mouth opening. Uh, it may not be perfect, but it's often a lot better than it was before the operation. Okay, perfect. How about um, a couple of things? One is a spinal accessory nerve damage with neck dissections. You want to um, explain to them a little bit what is that? A lot of you know patients may feel like, I went to surgery fine, now I'm coming out of surgery and I'm having a hard time moving my shoulder. So you want to explain to them a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, there's a nerve that goes through the neck called the spinal accessory nerve. It sits right around a lot of the lymph nodes in the neck. And so as part of our surgeries, we're often removing the lymph nodes in the neck because that's where cancer can spread to. So it's called a neck dissection. Uh, the old term is radical neck dissection. So if you Google it, you'll see that that's not really what we do. That's pretty rare. Most of the time, it's just a selective neck dissection. And even when we're just removing the lymph nodes, we have to work around this nerve. And it even if we're extremely gentle around the nerve, we don't pull on it, we don't touch it, uh, that nerve can uh, go in a shock after surgery and it just doesn't work as well. Um, sometimes it happens right away and the patients notice weakness when they try to lift their arm above their head to wash their hair or, or reach a cupboard. Sometimes they don't notice anything at all for two to four weeks, but almost everybody's going to get some stiffness in that shoulder. And so I tell all of my patients that no matter how good you feel after surgery, you're going to need physical therapy for this to improve range of motion, improve strength. And you may not need a lot of it, but you're going to need at least some. And if you do have a lot of weakness in that nerve, you may need it for up to a year. And if you don't do the exercises and you don't start doing the recommended exercises from the beginning, then you can get a frozen shoulder. And if you come to me in six months and say, well, I can't move my arm past my shoulders, um, can we fix this? I'll tell you it's too late. You should have done the exercise before that. And so I really try to emphasize that to patients that no matter what, you're going to get a side effect of surgery um, from a neck dissection. It's going to be um, some shoulder weakness and there is treatment for it, but you got to start it early or we're not going to be able to help you with it. Exactly. And that's a very good point, Dr. DC, about like, you know, the early treatment, the better. Same thing with lymphedema, right? So, you know, neck dissections can create, even though you are so amazing in regarding being so selective and we are not doing this radicular, removing all the lymph nodes anymore, but still some patients get more affected than others for from lymphedema. So again, the sooner treatment start, and that's why thank you so much for, you know, we try to see your patients like two weeks post-op if possible, so we can really get them going prior to start radiation because it's going to be another burden to them 
So the, you know, the better shape they can get into radiation, the much better outcomes they're gonna have going through that treatment as well. So absolutely. we have to that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Desi. We can talk for another half an hour, but I know you have things to do. I really appreciate you being here with us today. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You have a great rest of the day. You too. Take care.